0: Hey, just throwing the intro on here before the music, because we didn't really get to it in the episode itself, we just kind of started talking, and if you listen to my last episode with Hallie, you know I kind of have a hard time corralling her, and the goal is to talk about national parks, and we did get there some, maybe not as much as I was thinking, so just... Enjoy the conversation. There's a there's a few times where we have some audio issues, and her dog is in the background making noise, so I had to edit around some things as best I could. So what I'll do when we hit something that otherwise would have been a weird break, I will play this sound of Hallie hitting her something on her desk. Ow! <laughs> this is also your reminder that my conversations with Hallie are a little more explicit than my conversations with my other guests. Enjoy!
1: life update so i wish you could see this right now but i brought my parents golden retriever back to my house in lawrence on instagram you were threatening to do so you did so i did it i did it i pulled the trigger
0: with or without their consent
1: with their consent
0: oh that's boring
1: (laughs) without My youngest brother's consent, but so I did. I brought my parents' golden retriever back to my house and she's living like her happiest life right now, but she's really funny. So she is like pretty obsessed with fetch, like
0: the sport for dogs. The sport? Oh, I I, I watch professional fetch.
1: Yes. And um, so Ernest is, you know, like the worst dog that's ever existed and doesn't like to play. He doesn't like to have fun. He doesn't like to play. He doesn't like to cuddle. He doesn't like toys, he, like nothing. But he has a bunch. I mean, he has like so many toys. And Sadie is like, you know, she, my, I mean, she just doesn't really have any because she's 13. She's so old. So at my house, she has like gone around the house and sourced every single toy slash ball that is in the entire house and has like arranged them around herself on the couch like like a throne and she just sits in the middle of them and just like keeps them around her like a safety net. There's like 14 balls on my couch right now.
0: <laughs> just stole all the Ernest's toys but Ernest doesn't care.
1: Oh, Ernest doesn't care. Like to him he like never had the toys. He's like this isn't even mine.
0: He's like, like thanks for cleaning up my junk.
1: Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> And then she like right now, she's like laying on the kitchen floor and she's been chewing on one and she pushed it just out of reach so that she can't touch it. So now she's just staring directly at it, like lovingly, like just gazing right at the ball, (laughs) but not like touching it or doing anything. She's just like watching it. I don't know. Well, anyway, so tell me about your trip. So where all did you go? Give me like the timeline of your national parks trip.
0: So basically, the whole idea was there was a family wedding in Montana, and we've been there enough, like growing up and stuff, that I didn't want to just do the same old trip I've done a million times. So I left like two and a half weeks before the wedding to take the ultimate scenic route. Okay. So instead of just going straight to Montana, which was still, I think, I think from here it's like a sixteen or nineteen hour drive if I went straight from Cheney. But I basically took two weeks instead and went through two national parks in Colorado, five in Utah. Up through Salt Lake City and then over to two more national parks before heading to the, the wedding. So uh and the main okay. thing was just to kinda treat it as like a photography lesson trip. Mm-hmm. Which I'll go ahead and share my screen with you too, so you can see.
1: Did you go to Moab?
0: Uh I I always said it Moab, but yes, I stay I actually camped outside of Moab for three nights at the KOA campground there.
1: It probably is Moab, but I just can't talk like a person.
0: Um, although well, no, so I've just read it on a map. I don't think I actually heard anybody in it say it. We're gonna go with Moab just so I've never heard different, but uh any Moabians listening can call on and correct us.
1: We can we can do this. How to pronounce Moab. <laughs> Ready? Yep. The following pronunciation is brought to you by pronouncenames.com. Moab. Say it again, sir.
0: Moab. Moab. Oh. But it's, now, it, it, in your defense, I feel like that pronounced names.com thing is wrong most of the time. I think it's just a computer reading stuff and not actually a person deciding how to pronounce it.
1: You know what? I'm going to say it however I want to say it. <laughs> how was the wedding?
0: Oh, good. Yeah, so I, was just, I also shot like some GoPro footage of the wedding and like drone footage. So so and so and they had they had this nice spot right by... The river, and of course, the rivers in Montana are more like real rivers, like stuff we don't really have here in Kansas. I mean, probably like, oh, probably a 50-yard wide river. And we're like yeah. set up in the grass right next to that. And so I was able to kind of fly the drone over and get like some pictures and video from hovering over the river where obviously their their actual wedding photographer couldn't get. So that was kind of fun.
1: That is fun. Ow.
0: <laughs> but yeah, and what I noticed too is it, when, I, when I'm trying to go through quickly. It's hard to, you know, because I think a lot of people, you know, with your, your if you're shooting for you're looking for a good shot, you're going to, oh, this is the shot I want, and I'm going to hang out here all day until I get the one shot I want versus I'm technically on vacation and I'm just going through and taking a taking a million pictures and then I just kind of get back home and hope I got something as opposed to taking the time to actually set up a prime shot or whatever, I don't know.
1: I mean, I think that I struggle with that because that's how I would like to approach photography when I'm on vacation, but instead it feels like such a chore. And so when I'm definitely, when I'm traveling, I have more of a resistance to ever take photos. And then like, then you get home and you think about it and you're like, shit, I like could have taken five minutes to just like do this correctly. You know what I mean? Right, like much more of a person who's just like taking them on the fly, like not actually planning them out. But then, like later on, wishing that I had. Ow!
0: <laughs> of course, the Great Salt Lake is freaking disgusting. That, those are all bugs. Every dot you see on that water is a bug. In your camera? N- <laughs> no, on the water. The Great Salt Lake is just has nothing but like these brine flies covering the water. It's disgusting.
1: Oh wait, are you kidding me?
0: No, these are all flies. I don't. Hang on, I zoom in?
1: Oh, I don't like that. Oh, I don't like that at
0: all, Right, every little speck is a fly. It's a, I got a video here somewhere where, like, Corey's, like, walking through, and they just, like, leave, like, a cloud as you, as you walk.
1: Wait, you weren't, like, on her?
0: So, they tend to avoid you well enough that that's not really an issue, fortunately.
1: What kind of flies are they?
0: They call them brine flies, so, like, bigger than gnats, but smaller than, like, house flies.
1: Oh, fuck no. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> but for, fortunately they it would have been way worse if they like actually cared about you but as you just kind of walk by i think they're just eating whatever tastes good on the ground there and as you walk by they basically just kind of bounce off and ignore you but it, it is kind of messed up
1: what is the next picture is it something gross because it looks kind of gross
0: that's all flies on that on a piece of sand or whatever it's so like the dark side there is yeah is nothing but flies on like the north end of that little chunk of sand
1: I thought that was like a dead cow or something and I was like mm, hard pass on that one Rich.
0: Yeah so apparently like you're not even like supposed to I think you can but like no one really actually swims in the Great Salt Lake because it's just disgusting like oh it all it all stinks too like the whole thing stinks what we did learn though that I thought was interesting is I didn't know why it was so salty do you know I, I probably don't know like the reason the Great Salt Lake is so salty is and I didn't know I don't know I didn't think about it this way so basically there's most lakes kind of have a river or some kind of stream where like water leaves the lake, right? So like it collects mm-hmm. in the lake, but then it exits the lake. The water of the Great yeah. Salt Lake doesn't exit the lake except by evaporation. So what happens over thousands of years is all the sediments that come in from the river from its that it flows into the lake, so the water comes into the lake with sediment and salts and stuff and then the water leaves through evaporation. So minerals just build up over centuries and the water only leaves through the air so you just get these high concentrations of salt and minerals. So it's actually 8 times saltier or sorry, 4 times saltier than the ocean, I guess.
1: Wow, because yeah, because it doesn't have like a like a rotating water source. Damn. That's fucked up. How gross is that? So people don't like boat around in Salt Lake City. You know it sucks that it's a city with a shitty lake. Like it's literally named after the <laughs> shitty lake. <laughs>
0: Yeah, uh, Corey and I decided that it the great refers to the size, not to the quality. It's it's the yeah. large Salt Lake. It's not I great.
1: Think that's probably accurate. Ow!
0: <laughs> so in general, too, like the the driving wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. I thought I would just like go crazy with the long drives and mm-hmm. it uh it was all right you just throw in the podcasts and I divided it up enough so I had like eight hours the first day but then like the most I had after that was maybe like five until I was heading home yeah and you just kind of slowly work your way from park, park to park and I did get tired of eating out of the car or yeah, so basically I tried sure. to I was trying to breakfast was either again in the car or skipping breakfast altogether. then kind of lunch just kind of out of the car cooler and then maybe go then go out to like eat in the evening just kind of for your sanity, if nothing else, to actually have, like,
1: a cooked meal. I, like, really like that, actually, though, the eating out of the car thing. Like, I'm a weirdo about it, but I pack, I have this, like, really nifty, like, cooler backpack thing that I bought for all of the hiking that I've been doing this summer with, like, all of my weddings in Colorado, and just because I'm in Colorado a lot now, and I actually have kind of this, like, weird, like, I think it's almost like a like a momish like excitement about packing a bunch of like snack foods and meals and stuff in this cooler, and then like pulling over on the side of the road by some nature and like sitting on top of my car and eating it.
0: No, ha- there, there was definitely there's definitely something quaint about it. I think it just became a hassle of, okay, some stuff's now just getting wet, the ice is all melting. Oh crap, I got to get more ice to keep the cream cheese I decided to be a good thing to bring along to put on bagels and like <laughs> and it's like that just became a mess. So basically is kind of learning what foods are worth it in the cooler and what foods are not. And I hadn't really just had a lot of experience with that. Like carrots work pretty well. And I actually ended up having to buy a couple like big big, uh, Tupperware bowls to put stuff in, to put in the cooler. Because I didn't realize how wet and soaked things would get even like through their packaging. And that was just annoying to deal with.
1: Yeah. No, it's frustrating. I get now, because I've been doing like Blue Apron for a while. And every month they send you in the box, there's this giant aluminum, not aluminum, I guess. Well, yeah, I think it is actually like a foil insulated bag thing with these huge ice packs, like the size of my laptop. Like they're so... Well, because
0: they're shipping it so far, they have to make sure everything stays fresh.
1: Yes. And so I actually just save those. And so I have like a stack of them in my freezer because they're perfect for um, using in like a cooler or like a, any kind of situation like that because they don't really leak water that bad. But Oh, right. So- foil bags too just like if you need to just separate like fruit from cheese or something right there's nothing more disappointing than like packing your lunch and having it get soggy right. it's just honestly it's it's a nightmare and i'm sorry that you went through that
0: because i never- <laughs> i, I wouldn't quite a nightmare category but it was just, it was it, again it was it was learning it was just kind of learning how to prioritize what stuff is worth worthwhile and what stuff's not and then also, just where you are. Obviously, as I got farther north, it was easier to keep stuff cool in Yellowstone than it was keeping stuff cool in Utah, where it was just way hotter. So, just balancing all that out.
1: Ow. <laughs> I think I'm going to Yellowstone next
0: uh, You cut out real quick. Next when? going to Yellowstone when? Next month. Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: Have you been before? Yeah. Actually, it's kind of funny. It was probably, honestly, the first time that I ever got interested in photography. It was like 2009, 2010. It's definitely 2010, because I had this summer where i had like a really honestly like at the time i thought it was super shitty but now i'm like damn those were actually like really good photos like it was like one of those like sony cool pics like the ones that ash and kutcher used to be on the commercials for like point and shoot camera and but it was an adjustable point and shoot camera and i was using my mom's canon power shot which was a really nice digital camera that you could actually adjust like the aperture and shutter speed and everything manually Um, so it was point and shoot in that, like it didn't have, it wasn't a DSLR, like it didn't have a detachable lens, but it had adjustable settings and really nice features. And I brought it to Yellowstone that year and I took a bunch of photos of Yellowstone in the parks and of my family and stuff. Oh, shit! pause. But anyway, no, that was the first trip that I ever really did photography. And um, it sucks because the computer, like at the time, I didn't have my own computer. I was just using like my family's computer. And um, that computer like crashed and all the photos disappeared. And so I, I actually don't have any of those photos anymore. But it was definitely like the first time I actually had printed out from like, wiki how or some weird website like that how to like properly compose photos and like instructions on how to understand like aperture and shutter speed and i was just like reading the about like photography the entire time we were driving to yellowstone mm. and then when we got there i was trying to like actually like put it all to test and so that's kind of fun because i wasn't photographing people but it was kind of the first time that i was interested in, in photographing anything
0: yeah, it's one of those things, too, where I guess I I've gotten more in earnest, I guess, interest in it recently. But I mean, you go going, going back. I mean, like when I was 12, I was the one that always wanted to hold the camcorder while, you know, on the vacations and everything and be the one recording everybody. So I was always kind of interested in just video and photography in general, but more just as kind of it was always just kind of a, oh, hey, a fun thing while it's around, as opposed to ever actually trying to take it seriously. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean, when you're a kid there is this fascination with being the one to hold the camera, right? Because it's such an adult privilege in our eyes at the time like
0: Oh, right, right. It
1: makes you feel really important because obviously if it's important enough that mom and dad are going to be like getting out the camcorder then like this is an important job to have. And I really just I thought that it was just a really interesting way to be really creative. Like The photos that I was taking at Yellowstone, I remember like photographing Yellowstone in a way that was really like strange and like non-traditional. And I'm so disappointed I don't have those photos anymore because it was such a hobby for me back then and I enjoyed it so much. And now it's like, oh my God, like I do not want to carry a camera around Yellowstone. That sounds terrible, you know, but I really want to get like a small camera, like a Fuji or a Sony, something that's like as light as that Canon that I had when I was... 14 was because i think that if i didn't have to carry around like a massive dslr when i was hiking or doing something leisurely like i would take way more photos
0: that is where the iphone is nice that it takes pretty darn good pictures and it's easy to carry around
1: yeah but it still isn't taking it's not taking raw images you know what i mean Like it's,
0: right right
1: and they're just really difficult to manipulate And I don't like that.
0: Right. You basically have to have them in camera or you don't have it at all. Yeah. Although, man, one of my favorite shots was an iPhone shot. But it was more just, it's almost like accidental, like, almost like, because it it does so much stuff automatically or whatever. And it's almost like, how did it do that? And there's one image that, like, doesn't even look real. And it's an unedited, uh, let's see, it was at Zion. It was unedited from the iPhone. And I was like, man, that looks really cool. This one. Yeah. So that's just how the iPhone did it automatically like it, it, that background looks like it's painted
1: yeah well that's like the automatic HDR thing that right I've, right they're compressing the layers because otherwise this rock that's up in the front it would be dark yeah. would be completely out of yeah it would be completely dark
0: right so it's almost guys it's almost in its own confusion on how to adjust the, the scene it made the background look fake yes. But kinda of, and of course, but again, it doesn't look as good here. It actually looks better on the phone on the small screen.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and if you blow it up like I don't know. It won't you know? It,
0: right, it, it won't hold you couldn't right, you couldn't do an eighteen by twenty four yeah. of that or whatever.
1: There's also just like a lot of distortion on the iPhone, um mm. which makes it not ideal for like everything. Basically, it seems like it's
0: it's it's solid if you're in thing is you just have it seen on the phone. Like, it takes pictures on the, with your phone that are look good if they're seen on the phone, but you would never actually want to do prints of it, right?
1: Yeah. Ow.
0: <laughs> as far as uh, just national parks in general. So, like, we, we've we gone to, you know, a few growing up. My, my my dad, especially, has always kind of been into the national parks. And we kind of tagged it along. It's like, oh, that's neat. And you don't necessarily appreciate that stuff as much as, as a kid. But as an yeah. adult here, the last few years recently, especially, I was like, Basically, Arches, honestly, the first time I went to Arches in college is where it kind of started. Like, oh, this is a park I hadn't previously heard of that was mind-blowing. And then basically every national park I've gone to, you're like, holy cow, there is definitely a reason they set this land aside. This is amazing. And how many people have even heard of this park? Bryce Canyon was like, I'd heard of Bryce Canyon. I didn't know what to expect. And it just kind of blew my mind. And like, yeah. There's a reason. And then uh, going back to Yellowstone, so Yellowstone's one, too because I'd gone so often going back to when I was little, like basically growing up with Yellowstone in some ways, you kind of take it for granted and don't really appreciate it. But I also had never done more than a superficial visit. Like we basically would drive two hours, go through the park real quick and drive two hours back to our cousin's house and never actually stayed in Yellowstone for long enough to do more than just kind of the few highlight spots.
1: Well, of a reason, like when you're a kid, you almost feel like entitled to that kind of nature. Like, I feel like I don't know how to explain it. It's like when you're a kid, you're in nature all the time and you're experiencing like the outdoors all the time. At least like I think we are because it's just kind of where we're exiled to. And then it's not until you're an adult and you spend like all of your days sitting at a desk mm-hmm. indoors that suddenly I think there's, like, this huge contrast between, like, I don't know. I mean, I remember being really amazed the first time that I saw, like, the Rocky Mountains. And I was probably, like, nine or ten. But there is something about going on a trip to a national park that has kind of, like, a touristy tone in, like, the villages that surround it, you know? That makes you feel like it's kind of, like, a theme park or something. Um, And then it's not until you get a little older that you realize, like, oh, this is all, like, naturally occurring,
0: I even overheard like some little girls asking their dad, like, "Oh, who put those rocks like that?" Yeah, it's like, "No, that's that just happened," and yeah. like she couldn't even get her head around that. No, no one put the rocks there.
1: Whoa. The rocks are just like that. Or well, the
0: aliens, if you got yeah. The, the The father did not mention God's role in it. They didn't say nature. They're like nature did it. Yeah. It it is it is crazy too, and and so and I kind of so I guess the whole area there, like as you get into like Colorado, Utah, I guess there's something called like the Colorado Plateau, so that's kind of why that part of the country has all these geological features. And then I was overhearing someone talk to a ranger when I was at Canyonlands, and I didn't exactly get what they were saying, but something to do with like the phrase the guy used when he was talking to her was basically like, oh, okay, so the top here is the bottom at the Grand Canyon or oh, okay. or, or, or reverse. And just, just the idea of these geological layers mm-hmm. and you don't, yeah, you don't think about that. Oh, okay. It's just weird seeing like, oh, the rocks on that side of the road and the rocks on the other side of the road there's that line about, okay, 30 feet up where it's both a little different color. Yeah, because it's all from the same layer from, you know, umpteen million years ago and then it's just eroded since then from, you know, we just can't get our heads around geological time No, and we just see the results of it now and it's just, yeah, it's crazy.
1: Well, I mean, we can't get our heads around it, but also, like, there's just no way to conceive of time that big. Like, it's so vast and also we really don't have, like, an exact understanding of like when that what like when that layer was like
0: oh the, right when the range is like oh this happened somewhere between 30 and eighty thousand years ago it's like that's not think, very exact
1: yeah. also like can't well the reason why you can't really like find a way for your brain to make sense of that is because like we can't even place what kind of civilization there was at that time and it's really hard to picture any of these landscapes without roads like it's really hard to yeah. like. Still, in Yellowstone and imagine like what it would be like if there was no highway bringing us through it. Right. And that's how it used to look, but probably even more amazing.
0: Yes. So yeah. So a couple things on that one. So uh, uh, coming back to Yellowstone specifically, I ended up kind of being more blown away by these other parks just because I'd never been there before. So I was trying to look at Yellowstone a little bit through fresh eyes. And what you realize is Basically, the reason Yellowstone is kind of the king, the granddaddy of all the national parks, it was the first, it's the most famous probably in the world, right? Yeah. I think- and it's because it's everything. It's diverse. So you go to, say, you know, arches, it's got these arches. You go to Canyonlands, it's got some canyons. You go to Yellowstone, it has everything. So you have... Yeah. The Grand Canyon of the Yellowstone, where it's this giant canyon with these amazing waterfalls and this big yellow rocks. You got this crazy diverse uh, wildlife, and just you're seeing—I literally saw bears, and, and I saw probably 500 bison, no exaggeration, because they were like in these giant herds everywhere. I saw like nine bears. You see the elk, you see all the little the little creatures, and then the beautiful you know mountain flowers and the in the green, and then on top of all of that, you have these geothermic features where oh the water in that ditch is bubbling and all the sulfur things and the grant and the old faithful so it's it's just it's everything it's the cool nature stuff it'd be a national park on its own without the geothermic features and then you had those on top of it and it's like oh my gosh what is this place what's happening so i think that's why it kind of stands out
1: and like did you go see like the geysers and stuff yeah 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 i mean that that is kind of what's so cool about Yellowstone is that it is so vast, and you can see so much within, yeah, like a pretty small area.
0: And I can't imagine what it would have been like, like you're saying, like before the roads. Like people are just like, yeah.
1: well, let's go. Oh, that's kind of neat. Oh my
0: gosh, we're standing in boiling mud. How did that happen?
1: <laughs> yeah, that was the most bears that I'd ever seen. Was when we were in Yellowstone. They were kind of all over the place. I think that's a good indicator, though, that the bears still feel like it's there. Well, I guess I don't know. It either means that they still feel like it's their home or they are just normalized to the humans moving through it all the time.
0: Yeah, and probably a bit of both, I suppose. And you hope it's not too much getting used to humans, but I you see my shot there where I was like 15 meters from a grizzly bear?
1: No, go back.
0: Um, I'm trying to scroll to it here.
1: 15 meters, really? Were you in the car?
0: So basically I was on the sidewalk by the parking lot and it came... Basically, right up to the little railing between the parking lot and kind of the next little part there. Was it big? So it, it was a mom and two cubs. Oh. Yeah. So it's this bear here. I mean, I, I got the zoom lens on, obviously, but like oh, wow. even, even with the zoom lens. So yeah, I'm a, I am at 300 there, but like it's right on top of it now, and it wasn't a big one, but.
1: Well, they're yeah. all pretty big. Like no, you right.
0: know, it 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 was close. It was close enough that I backed up.
1: Well, it's funny because like. Some people think about, like, the size of the bear or whatever, or, like, bear cubs even, and they're like, oh, they're not that big. And I'm like, okay, if you saw a dog that was the size of that bear and it had any sort of, like, ill will toward you, you would run. Like, it would be a very scary dog.
0: Right. The cub, the cubs are the size of dogs, and the mom is five times as big as the cubs. So how big is the bear? Yeah. Yes, yeah, so you, see- you can see the cubs in the background there. And... Right, so you figure they're the size they're they're darn near the size of your of your golden retriever there.
1: Look, he looks like a fake animal. Like the one on the left. Yes. <laughs> it looks like a walla bear.
0: But uh problem is so your mind almost kinda it's uh, there's like that cognitive dissonance where you're used to seeing animals in the in the zoo. And so as she's getting a little closer to like the parking lot here, we're not as nervous as we should be, because this isn't a zoo. That's a wild bear. Like, it's in yeah. the wild. It's it's just roaming where it wants to roam. And if you bother it, it's going to attack you. And the, the railing, like I say, a railing, it's just like a railing to designate which area was which. It could have gone right under that railing and into the parking yeah. lot. Yeah. And, and, and done whatever it wanted to do. I mean, there was just a kind of a line of people all here right next to me. And yeah. basically, I'm just standing on the sidewalk. And yeah, it's, it's 15, 20 meters away right there. Cause yeah, you see, you see on this shot in particular, I'm at I'm at 75 millimeters.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, you're not that far right. away, right? Like that's really not far at all. Yeah, actually. That's,
0: that's what I'm saying. I, I don't. I mean, I mean, I'm saying 15 to 20 meters from. Yeah. So it's
1: probably, like, irresponsibly close, if
0: I'm being honest. Um, agree, agree. And, again, that's so why I had a bunch of other, other people were in the same boat. And I think they even say the rule is you're supposed to stay, like, 100 yards, I think, away from the Grizzlies. Or from the, yeah. And we're here, you know, basically 20% of that. But so, yeah, I think we were kind of the false sense of security from having that railing right there. And she wasn't interested in us. I mean, she couldn't have cared less that we were there. So there was another spot where I found two black bears, one chased, one black bear chased another one up a tree and we kind of pulled off, a bunch of people pulled off the side of the road and. Same thing. Like I, That's that's where I was more nervous because it wasn't eating. It was kind of just hanging at the bottom of the tree, waiting for the other one to come down. And it looked like it was a little pissed off. I'm like, yeah, this one I am not getting anywhere near as close as I got to this mama here who's just kind of hanging out.
1: I would. That's interesting because I would think that the mama with her cubs was more dangerous.
0: If she perceived us to be a threat, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But she was just kind of chilling and was between us and the cubs and hadn't really even noticed us yet versus the black bear that seemed pissed off and now it's the other bear was chasing was up a tree, so it was just kind of sitting like it was like still stewing. I was like, that's kind of a pissed off bear that I don't want yeah. to realize I'm here.
1: Yeah. It's like even though like we... it's a black
0: and blacks are supposed to be the wusses and the grizzlies are the ones that will tear you up.
1: Oh really? I didn't know that.
0: Yeah black black bears miners understand- I mean again, obviously all bears are dangerous. Don't go approaching bears. But black bears are basically giant raccoons. They mm-hmm. will, they will run away from you immediately. Yeah. And, but a grizzly will, will fight. And a pol- and a pol- they say the polar bears are worse. Polar bears will just straight I'm kill you.
1: I'm obsessed with bears. Like, it's a weird thing that I like, don't really ever, like, I've never said that bears are like my favorite animal or anything like that. But like, I really like them. And I think I get frustrated that they're not like domesticated. I'm like, I want that. Like, I want a bear. I think I want one as like a pet.
0: <laughs> Have you seen the documentary Grizzly Man? No. Do you know what it's about?
1: I bet it's about bears
0: eating people. Close. <laughs> so bears. so it's it's actually a Werner Herzog doctor.
1: People eating
0: bears. <laughs> uh, so basically it was this dude, He's kind of like a Steve Irwin type, I forget his name, but he would go and like hang out with these grizzly bears in Alaska to where they almost kind of even like adopted him into their little tribe and it was like he would go up there every year and hang out what? with these certain bears that would remember him and everything and he was like playing around and wrestling with grizzly bears. What's and Grizzly what? It's called Grizzly Man.
1: Grizzly Man. I thought you said Grizzly Land.
0: Oh, no. <laughs> so it's good. It's interesting. He's just kind of an odd guy who got along with these bears. But uh, let's just say it doesn't have a happy ending. Oh, my God. Yeah, spoiler alert. He gets eaten by bears in real
1: oh, life. Oh, yeah. I figured he did eventually.
0: Yeah. And they say, I think if I remember right, it's basically that he stayed later in the season than he usually did, and different bears migrated into the area. So his normal buddies didn't turn on him. Stranger bears just showed up and ate him.
1: Well yeah.
0: Yeah. So yeah, obviously he was irresponsible, but he was it was it wasn't like his friends turned on him. But yeah, it was he didn't put himself in a good situation. And I guess the crazy part too is, and they don't show it in the documentary on purpose. Apparently there's audio of him being eaten.
1: Oh fuck. Was he by himself?
0: Yeah and so but they don't play it. so like I think like Werner Herzog and a few people the people's family have listened to it they refuse to put it in the documentary they refuse to release it to the press they're just they basically are just like no one should hear this ever
1: oh my god you know people say that about things though and like I actually have never you're,
0: you're like I want to listen
1: <laughs> well kind of because I'm like I feel like I can't imagine something that could really be that bad after like just how numb we are kind of to like gore with just the news, but also like horror films. Well, everyone's different on that too. Like so, some
0: people do like my, my sister-in-law for one, like the moment I got stitches on my shin or whatever here last December, the moment I hurt myself, I knew she'd want to see the, the bloody picture of my exposed shin, but yeah. I would never want to see that stuff. So it's the same kind of thing. I, I don't want to listen to that audio, but I get my, I bet my sister-in-law would be like, Oh, that's interesting.
1: You know what they call it? They call it like trauma porn.
0: Oh, okay. It's okay. like the
1: same reason that we like gooseneck when we walk past, a, when we drive past like a car accident.
0: Right. To some extent, it's human nature.
1: Yes. I guess my thing about it is because I'm not like shy about the fact that I do have that tendency. As long as I'm not disrupting anyone or like invading someone's privacy. You know what I mean? Like if you're holding up traffic, then yeah, don't do that. But otherwise, it's obviously something, like, very naturally occurring within all of us to be curious about that kind of thing. And call it trauma porn or curiosity or whatever. Like, I'm not shy. Like, I want to know what happened and what's going on. And it doesn't bother me to, like, hear shit like that. And, like, it's one of the things that people have, like, bitched about. Like, so, like, when 9-11 comes around and everyone reposts the phone calls that came from the airplane Mm. or stuff like that, you know. And I always listen to those on 9-11 and I don't know why it doesn't make me happy or bring me like some kind of closure I just listen to them because I think it's interesting and it's like reminds you of how bad the situation was like you know what I mean like when you live in Kansas and it happened in New York it's easy to separate yourself from that but then when you listen to it and you watch the videos about it you're like oh no this was absolutely devastating and I think even with this, not saying they should release the sound of this person getting eaten by a bear, but I'm just kind of like, I don't know. Sometimes I kind of like want to hear that kind of shit.
0: Yeah. And I think, and I think it's both with the nine 11 stuff. I almost, there's, there's almost the argument that you kind of owe it to the victims. Oh yeah. To some some extent, like you think of what everyone had to go through. And you know, we, I mean, I personally didn't know anybody directly involved. I don't even know anybody who knew anybody kind of thing, but, versus it but so it's easy it's easy to keep that separation versus you almost kind of like said owe it to them to know what they went through kind of like when you talk about you know holocaust stuff or stuff like that versus with the grizzly man guy i think it's more of like the it it's does because it's an individual i think it's a privacy issue where his family doesn't want it released for for various reasons
1: yeah no i'm definitely not arguing that they should release it i'm just like arguing for the fact that like I don't think it's that bad to listen to something like that. Like, I don't think it always makes people queasy or whatever. I think it's person to
0: person. I think some people hear it, think it's fascinating and move on about their day. And then some people might be literally traumatized by hearing it.
1: Yeah. Well they are.
0: And I think I'm somewhere in between where I'm like, I, I think I'd get over it, but I have no interest in listening to it.
1: Oh my God.
0: No interest. Uh, Actually, I I was just up in Kansas city last week with my brother and his wife and, she, it was some. i don't even know what it was but it, it something popped up on her phone and she's like oh man like she got all excited about you know again some kind of trauma porn kind of thing and she's like you guys gonna see this if we're like nope <laughs> and she's like no oh you're real quick. because she finds it fascinating not realizing me and my brother like could not care less. we do not want to see it and she's like no just look quick." It's like no seriously we don't want to see it please stop trying to show us
1: there are some grizzly bears though that are like not cute like not they don't look like, female bears are so pretty and, like, they just look kind of, like, round and cuddly. But then I'm looking at pictures right now from the Grizzly grizzly Man documentary situation and, like, there are just some that look really horrible, like, monstrous.
0: That was interesting, too, on the bison. How uh bison, they're kind of, like, you think, like, they're these nice, noble, you know, dignified historic animals. But you look at their hides, they're just all, like... Their hides are just ratty. Like, look at that. It's just all kind of tore up. and
1: Oh. I mean,
0: it looks like he's shedding or something. I mean, maybe maybe they do kind of... He
1: might be like molting. I just sent yeah. you a picture of, I think, the ugliest grizzly bear I've ever seen. Okay, pulling it up. It looks like a werewolf.
0: Oh, yeah. he's. It almost looks like he's derping a little bit there, too.
1: I don't know about that, but...
0: Well, I can't... It's really small. It's showing up really small here.
1: I'm going to fix it by typing into Google cute grizzly bear. But, yeah, I think maybe that bison is shedding. Is that a baby bison behind him?
0: Yes, yes. So the babies are kind of that tanner color. And, yeah.
1: I still think bison are really cute. But I'm pretty terrified of hugged animals, so...
0: And I guess their numbers are blowing up in Yellowstone. Like, they're not, I, I, don't, I mean, I don't know what it. Like I said, I I, I insist I saw 500 on my trip, mm-hmm. and I think their numbers are, I mean, obviously nothing compared to what they were back before humans came here, but yeah. specifically Europeans. But they, uh, I think they're doing well. I think they're doing well, and they're just kind of all over Yellowstone. Like, almost, oh, someone was saying it was like almost a problem, like, that, so when they introduced the wolves into Yellowstone a few years back. Yeah. Yeah. that they basically were hoping that it would help control the bison also, but the mm-hmm. bison are just too big and the wolves are scared. So the wolves oh, will take no. out the elk and the yeah. elk population is struggling almost too much so, but the bison are thriving now because the wolves took out the elk and now the bison have less competition for, you know what I'm saying? They, the wolves are the wolves basically aren't yeah. a predator and the elk now are, have been thinned out. So the bison are like,
1: woo Yeah, I mean, our elk, Is that like a species that's like in trouble?
0: Um, I don't think worldwide, but I think the populations in that region are not what they think. Or like my so like our cousins who farm Montana there are saying the elk are kind of the elk are kind of getting scared out of that area and and like interfering with the farmland in Montana now because Mm -hmm. elk eat a lot more than deer and just so it becomes just a problem they're messing with them. So I guess I guess maybe their numbers aren't bad outside of yellowstone but they're also getting in their areas they aren't supposed to be and it's probably the rule i guess you can't just like hunt a hunt an elk like you can't a deer
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah I, I don't know how that works i don't know how it works when he's getting on your farmland and stuff but
1: oh my god i'm gonna send you that this is so scary right now still on the grizzly bear <laughs> oh my god you- i just think it's irresponsible <laughs>
0: Yeah, I'm kind of torn on that because I think it can be done correctly, I think, but there are definitely times where people just end up dead.
1: <laughs> but the thing about it is like like they're wrestling and playing right now and he's like being straddled, but like if he wanted to get up, he could, just couldn't. You can't push a bear off of you, you know? Right. Like there's a reason people don't let their horses straddle them.
0: Oh, we saw, we were, we were somewhere, too, and we just, you know, like, you see pill playing with those big, uh, big snakes in public and stuff, and I'm just like, oh. I'm like, yeah, if, uh, if they're not hungry, they're not going to hurt you.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, no. Okay. Well, this video is actually very cute of this grizzly man, grizzly bear eating his owner. It's fine, though. I mean, you Great.
0: know. And it's just kind of interesting, too, that they talk about, like, basically, some animals just lend themselves better for domestication. Actually, what is does they talk about the difference too between taming and domestication? So basically, you can domesticate things like cows, and you can tame bears, but just basically, I think for genetic reasons, if nothing else, bears can't be domesticated. They can be tamed, an individual yeah. bear can be tamed, but you can't you can't domesticate bears as a species for reasons that I don't necessarily understand. I think you know, dogs were just kind of perfectly suited to where you breed the ones that are the friendliest. And you get the friendliest. For some reason, I guess that just doesn't work with animals like bears or even bison. I'm sure it
1: Would work after generations and generations and generations. Maybe, maybe, yeah. Maybe
0: it takes. It just takes longer, or the the, right. the kind ones are fewer and far between, or the kind ones are more likely to turn on you anyway. I, I, I there. I think there are specific reasons why those animals weren't weren't domesticated. And I, I. mean,
1: I'm sure dogs weren't always the. Well, they
0: were wolves. They were literally wolves.
1: That's that's a good point. <laughs> They were? <laughs> <laughs> well oh people,
0: yeah, people forget that though. They yeah, they basically are the yeah, same species. Ow. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so you were asking for help getting a running plan together. So let's kind of have that conversation now. What uh have it. So what, what 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 I guess what are your goals? What have you been doing? What are you wanting to accomplish? And we can hash that out.
1: Yeah, I mean I guess I just want to get back into like long distance running like I used to be able to. Honestly, like, I haven't been able to run, like, more than, like, three miles probably since high school. In high school, I could run more than that if I, like, paced myself Mm -hmm. well. But then when I came to KU, I really kind of stopped running because it's just so hilly here that I felt really discouraged trying to, like work myself up to like running the hills that were around campus but the reality is that like no one can probably run up those hills and feel like totally fine and I just like kind of stopped rather than just avoid the hills or not get so down on myself about them but like what I've been doing is just kind of doing like intermittent running so I'll, well I can still run like two miles if I if I want to like I really can but I don't think that I probably should yet I feel like I should be maybe like working myself up more progressively because if I do run that much, I'm like pretty exhausted at the end of it. I kind of want to make a plan so that I'm progressively working from like one mile up to like four or five. And also right now I've been doing on days when I don't feel like running, you know, like a full mile or two miles without stopping. I just like run and walk like every few blocks or something. Like I'll do like, okay, I'm going to run one block and then walk three blocks or whatever. Well,
0: that right there, that last thing you said is actually something I was going to suggest to kind of try to break it up. And and the good word you used in there was should. And I, and I feel like a lot of people getting back into it want to go straight from not having done much recently to going right to what they've done in the past or going right to running. I would say a lot of people run too much when they should just be walking and a lot of it just comes to how much exertion it is for you
1: that's what i'm saying it's like it is like a lot for me to just like go run a mile like without stopping like because i haven't really been running at all right you
0: know? so if it feels like well, again what do we have, what i would call an anaerobic effort if it feels like you're getting like very winded and very exhausted regards to pace at just running a mile or two again that in and of itself is fine but i don't think doing that on a regular basis is the way to get back to where you want to get so maybe you still do that once in a while but try to just monitor monitor that heart rate
1: yeah you remember when i first started cross country like i get really bad shin splints mm. so it's kind of been like that again too where like if i run <laughs> just, like, without walking at all, and I just go for it, like, I don't even get that winded, but I do just my, like, my shins start to ache really bad, and my feet start to hurt a little bit, and I'm, I have good running shoes, but I think that, yeah, it's, like, the part that I like about running, like, running isn't even, like, what I would be using as, like, my primary form of exercise. I much prefer to go to, like, spin class or yoga or something, like, running for me has always been more of, like, a anti-anxiety type of thing like it just feels really good so i don't really want to do it in a way that is about like performance so much as i just want it to be like comfortable okay and comfortable that i can do it long enough to get that feeling of like the runner's high type of thing that you get after you've like actually done some distance you know
0: because i would agree that you don't get that same that little mild euphoria from walking no matter how much you walk you don't get to kind of that euphoric point that you get with uh with a run
1: well what i've always noticed is that when i'm actually running like what i when i get it is if i create like a loop for myself and i'm and i'm running at least with like the last half mile that's when it starts to kick in for me because i think it's like this weird body memory of like the finish line mm. from like a race and then i get like a stomach like really like unpleasant like adrenaline kind of feeling but then after i'm finished running that feeling turns into like a yeah like a euphoria type of thing
0: yeah the post the post run is actually better than the run like you almost run to set up the
1: post run feeling well that's what i want like yeah. that's the only reason i want to run again because honestly like if i'm trying to like lose weight or whatever then like walking kind of does almost just as much for your calorically
0: yeah, it can absolutely, especially if you, especially if you're staying aerobic, you're gonna you burn yeah. more fat fat in an aerobic state versus an anaerobic state. Of course, that also gets into a lot of debates in the exercise world right now, and yeah. because the argument is, if I do go say like a, like a hit training where I am going a little more anaerobic, maybe that I'm going to actually burn calories longer. So, like if I'm going on a nice easy walk, I'm burning just fat, but basically just for the duration of the walk. And just for the duration of the low intensity exercise versus yep. a, at a higher intensity, I might continue to burn those calories long after the exercise is ended. So yes. I always say on any of that kind of stuff, any of those kinds of debates, I always say the answer is kind of a compromise. So I, I would say the goal would be to incorporate both of those kinds of things. And, may, and it sounds like you kind of have the right idea already and are kind of changing it up. So I would say definitely don't try to get overexerted and out of breath every day but also don't avoid that kind of work altogether. So maybe yes. your routine just needs to become, okay, you know, Mondays and Thursdays are my long, easy walking days. And then Tuesday is my run a little bit, walk a little bit day. And then Wednesday is the day where I actually try to go and see if I can do a steady state for 20 minutes without stopping of running and just and just kind of rotate between those different kinds of things based on how you're feeling. Without, without trying to do too much too soon and be patient with it. Don't be like, oh, okay, I want to go and be by next week. I want to be on this full schedule. It's like, well, no, yeah. I'm just going to start and slowly build because if you do too much too soon, you're going to get out emotionally out uh, mentally and physically yeah. and then you're just being really back in like, nothing. I versus feelings are
1: going to be hurt. Yeah, <laughs> emotionally. Yeah.
0: So I think too many people are like, oh, okay, I want to do this. I want to do it for a little bit. If your plan is to like, I'm going to start running And I'm going to run really hard for the next month and meet the goals I want to get. And then I'm going to stop running. It's like, well, then it's not going to work. No. You need to make lifestyle changes, figure out what you'll actually be able to maintain long term, which usually just means figure out a small thing you'd like to add to your routine that you're willing to add to your routine forever. And like, yes. that's fine. I will start doing this. This will be the new thing I now do forever until I get yes. bored and may change some things. But just uh, being realistic with yourself and patient with yourself and not too hard on yourself and, and and adding that variety, I think is important. So have your easy days, have your hard days, but uh, yeah. be good to yourself.
1: Okay. No. So do you feel like it should be more like something that I do that's really structured where I'm like, okay, I'm going to run for two minutes and walk for one minute? Or or do you feel like it should just be like, okay, today I want to run a mile and I'm going to walk when I feel like I need to walk?
0: So kind of both. So the advantage of going in with like a game plan to a specific workout is it kind of just, even though it's just you holding yourself accountable, it does kind of help hold yourself accountable. And maybe you have to adjust during that workout, but I would still say go in with a plan where, okay, the plan is to do 2 minutes on, 1 minutes off for 20 minutes like something like that. And then mm-hmm. knowing that okay, depending if I Finish that pretty much on plan. The next time I'm going to do a similar workout, I'm going to make adjustments based on how that time went and change my goals accordingly. Now, hey, if it's way too easy or way too hard, you can make yeah. adjustments during. But if you about finish it about what you were hoping in, then I would say reevaluate and adjust that workout so that next time you do it, it's adjusted accordingly with a different goal to make it where you want it to be. Again, not always too challenging, but yeah, just kind of adjusting based on how you're feeling there for the next time.
1: So- how much do you feel like, okay, so let's say that I'm, I'm comfortably at one mile consistently right now, like running. How quickly does one add distance onto that?
0: That's kind of a tough question because there's always, there, you know, the, there's always a school of thought talks about, you know, adding a 1%, sorry, adding 10%, you know, over the course of a week or over the course of the month. But when mm-hmm. you're starting with lower numbers, that's a little harder because you're basically going to say, oh, so I'm only going to add, you know, a 10th of a mile. Also, too, it depends, too. Like you're saying you can go and comfortably do a mile. Is that comfortable but out of breath or comfortable and basically like it's not even a thing?
1: Um, Comfortable. Again, it's really not. It's not like about my breath. Like that's the weirdest thing. It's like I don't really feel like I get that winded because I think I pace myself really well. I get like tired. Like my legs hurt. Like yeah, my- no,
0: okay. And, and that's, and that's normal as well. So yeah, basically, yeah, you're, you're, you're feeling it more in, in the legs because again, the legs have to adjust to the workload as well. So yeah. yeah, with, with that in mind, well, one, make sure you're doing a lot of stretching after you're running to kind of help uh, aid the recovery that, that those legs are needing. Uh-huh. And I would say maybe kind of, Oh, kind of go up and down with it. So like, you know, do the mile. If you're doing a mile study, we'll call these your study state runs, because I still think you should have the walking days and the run a block, walk a block days. But if you're doing mm-hmm. your kind of steady state mile days, I would maybe go, okay, I'm going to do a mile one day. Maybe I do a week, week of just doing the mile three times over the course of that week. Yeah. And then next week on one or two of the days, I bump that to a mile, a quarter and a mile and a half. But the okay. other one, the other one stays in a mile. And maybe even pick one of the days. So let's say let's say two or three days a week you're doing your your long your long longer study run. And right now that's just a mile. That's fine. You know, try to have one of them be mile and a quarter. Then back it back down. Maybe the next time have it try to be one and a half. Maybe keep one of them at a mile while another one goes up a quarter mile each time.
1: Okay, so what if I did what you're saying, but then also I did like one day that was like. 3 miles but it was like the running and walking thing. You know oh I mean? yeah,
0: and then, yeah, those yeah, so those are kind of a separate thing. Yeah, I think you could definitely go the, the farther distance on those as well and kind of you got to be a little careful like they always say increasing volume and intensity at the same time. But if you're basically going to say hey, the intensity is what it is, I'm really just worried about increasing the volume, just keep that in mind. You can kind of increase all three of those as separate pieces, but I wouldn't also be getting higher intensity as you're increasing the distance. So kind of pick one or the other. So if I want to increase the distance, I'm not going to increase my speed and vice versa. If I want to kind of keep the distance the same for a week, I can maybe bump up the speed a little bit if I wanted to, just to kind of have a little variety, but I wouldn't move up both those the same at the same time. And again, just making sure you're listening to your body, especially those legs, you know, if they're sore, you know, listen to them and maybe getting on the elliptical once in a while, which I know you say you don't like going outside to work out or inside to work out during the summer, but You know, getting Mm -hmm. on the elliptical here as it gets cooler out, just kind of what's nice about that is it's a nice way to get, especially when we say the issue is your legs, you can get some non-impact cardio. If you get on an elliptical, your legs are still moving, your arms are moving, but you don't have that pounding on your legs. And so you
1: can go. I always feel like the elliptical like isn't actually doing
0: anything. Frankly, I haven't spent a lot of, I haven't spent a lot of time on them, but I mean, you're, you're moving, you're moving. (laughs) And, but I would say, yeah, you might be somewhere you need to go in planning on 40 minutes on the elliptical. And I mean, 10 minutes on elliptical. No, you're gonna be like, what am I even doing? But I think the whole idea is 40 minutes, you might get off and be like, Oh, okay, I'm a little lightheaded almost even. Yeah. And And again, just to kind of add that variety in there. And that gives you a little more steady state cardio without the impact, which is which is nice.
1: I've always liked the elliptical, but I always kind of feel like, am I really working out? But I think it is because it's like, I don't really get that winded. I just get like tired if I'm running like on the ground and like, I don't get that tired on the elliptical, but I think that's just because my joints aren't really getting the impact that they are on like, yeah,
0: it's just, it's more different than you even think. And it is cardio, but it's, I think because it is so less taxing on everything else, it almost feels like you're not doing anything but again, they have heart rate trackers on all those, too. So just kind of make sure your heart rate's getting elevated. And if it's not, go a little quicker. Yeah. But don't overdo it there, too. I mean, just, yeah, any, anything too much too soon can be can be an issue. And it, it, it does all come back to just being patient with it.
1: Ow. <laughs> I watched something yesterday that I am so happy about. Aziz Ansari released a new stand-up special. And it's the first thing he's released since his, like, sexual misconduct allegations. Did you know about all that?
0: I, uh, yes, and his was one of the ones that first started having a little bit of a backlash in that it was kind of... Some people were saying it was really just a bad date that wasn't yeah, necessarily I, anything criminal he, by him. Yeah, It
1: was complete bullshit. Like, I mean, I'm so sorry, but... This girl had so many opportunities to leave and so many opportunities to explicitly say no. And it just wasn't a situation like she didn't even herself describe it as a situation where she was being like coerced. And like as someone who's experienced sexual assault, it's like, okay, when you have a story like that and then you sensationalize it into some kind of like sexual assault allegation when it's really not, you're really doing a disservice to like all the women who have been like raped because you could have left and you, I think we're in this situation with like a pseudo celebrity. It was just honestly ridiculous. And the truth is like that probably honestly, if that girl felt that way and like really felt like she had been, you know, treated poorly or assaulted or coerced or whatever on that date, fuck, I've probably done that to someone. You know what I mean? It's like, it wasn't even a matter of him like forcing her to do something. It was like her just not being super into someone, but like going for it anyway. And he
0: thought she was willing. And then then she sent him a text the next day and he sounded like he was very apologetic and she would agree with that. The problem is then, and that's how it should have been handled. I think she handled that probably appropriately, she sh- she she should have sent him that text that she sent him the next day, letting her know how she f- felt. The problem was no, when it, but, but, they, but, it sh- but it should have stayed private between them.
1: I just disagree with the whole premise of the situation. I feel like if in the moment you're feeling uncomfortable, she lived in New no, York. No, yes,
0: you have to advocate for yourself. It, but I also, she have
1: yeah. Uber. she's an adult. I think that if you're in a situation and you don't feel like threatened or Afraid for your safety, and you're just not interested in a person. She also like never said that she was blacked out drunk or that he had like roofied her or something. It's like she should have just left his apartment, because the the thing is that like some people are completely oblivious to like when a person isn't into them. Like I've definitely made out with dudes that I wasn't into, and I was like, well, it's gonna be easier for me to just like make out with them and like get them to leave me alone than it is like not. You know what I mean? So the whole thing is that she should have just left. And I know that this is like a controversial opinion to take on this, but I'm someone who's 99% of the time on the side of the victim in the Me Too movement. And I just thought that this was just in there to like water everything else down pretty much.
0: No, I think, yeah, I think she just, I think she, because of the Me Too movement, she thought she needed to be involved and kind of got some pushback because people are like, dude, yours doesn't meet the threshold of all these others. Why are you saying anything?
1: Well, also, Aziz Ansari isn't a person of power over her. He isn't a person who could have enhanced her career in any way. Like, he's not really that famous. And right. Also, he, was,
0: he was a dude that thought she was into him, and he was wrong, apparently.
1: He was just on a date. It's not like he was right. Harvey. He wasn't, like, offering her a position. Correct, correct. And dangling that power over her, which is what the Me Too movement is kind of about in Hollywood. No, it was just bullshit, but he did release his stand-up special, and he opens with a joke that immediately addresses the sexual misconduct allegations. Oh. And, I mean, like, he just puts it right out there. and also Which I think you thing- have
0: to, and I think that's where Louis yeah. made a mistake. Louis basically tried to ignore it, and he's struggling to come back. He's,
1: like, doubled down on it. Mm. Well, okay, so th- the... Well, first of all, so the Louis thing is hard because what he did, I still it's still like a little bit gross and um, not a little bit gross. It is disgusting. But I just don't think that we have enough understanding of the context of the situation because. Like, now we all know Louis as someone who is kind of, like, modern times as big as, like, Seinfeld was, right? He's, like, just kind of this person who, for a moment, held the throne of the comedy of the comedy community in new york city and so what you don't know is if the two women back in 2004 who were in his hotel room when he asked if he could masturbate in front of them we don't really know if they felt like he was a person who could ruin their career if the he, they felt like he was a person who could improve their career we don't know if they were all just drunk and being silly like if louis ck had the status that he has now Back then, and I was a young female comedian in that room with him. I would feel pressured to stay there, and it would be really uncomfortable.
0: Right, which is basically what they were saying.
1: Yeah, but I'm like, was he that big in 2004? Like, I don't know. I don't know.
0: Uh, and I didn't realize it was that long ago. And and again, so yeah, I, I think the reason because I don't I don't think at his core. He's a bad person. He misread the situation completely and thought that by getting consent, he was in the clear, not realizing that consent can sometimes be given coercively, even if unintentionally coercively or however you would phrase that. But I think, yeah, I don't think he meant to be
1: it's a situation that situation pissed me off even more because i just feel like they both could have left like they were together even it's not like one of them was alone like if both women you know when you're in a situation with your friend and a dude's being fucking creepy and you both make the decision to get out of there if it was one of them alone and it happened i think that would have made more sense to me but the fact that it was two of them sitting in there and they didn't leave made me honestly feel why the fuck didn't you leave you were probably all drunk and he and he said that they were laughing and shit and it's like I don't know again I just think that yeah what he did is gross and pervy but also you could have just left you know it's not like he's tied you to the bed and made you watch him
0: Jerk off Well, you got to be careful with that, though, too, because I don't think Weinstein tied people down. But yes, it was very much a a transactional thing, though, right?
1: Yeah, it wasn't transactional with Louis, and it was transactional with Weinstein, and it was arranged with Weinstein. Women who came to Weinstein's hotels, like they knew what they were doing to get ahead in their career. I don't. It was premeditated. This is so different. I just don't think it's the same.
0: Oh no, I, yeah, I don't mean to compare the two. I am just saying that those women could have left in theory, too. But yes.
1: I don't think it's the same, but I don't think it's, like, not bad. You know what I mean? Like, I don't... R-
0: yes, yes. Right. Weinstein should be in prison. Louis should still have a career.
1: Here's the thing. Aziz, I we shouldn't even have heard about it, and also he shouldn't have been, like, publicly accosted in any way. Like, I was talking about the stand-up special yesterday and, like, a group of friends, and ironically what was happening as I was talking about it is what the stand-up special is about where it's like this competition for like who can be the most woke. And like, it's like a pissing contest of like who can be the most progressive in the men in Hollywood that we've decided to boycott. So, so many of the girls in the group that I was in were like, I still just really don't feel like I should be supporting him. And I'm like, fuck you. You know what I mean? Like, seriously, is this going to be a situation where like I'm looked at as if I ha- am like of lesser moral competence because i decide to like like a stand up who i genuinely don't really think did anything wrong like it's just so frustrating to feel like you are the black sheep when you're just being reasonable you know for not siding with the victim anyway the stand up special is awesome it's shot well it's pretty, it was uh produced by Spike Jones and it's shot in a way that i think is pretty like cinematically unique for a standup special because there's really I don't think that much that you think you could do to make it look um, more interesting or more cinematic but there's this camera angle that they kind of keep on him for a lot of it that reminds me almost of like almost of like a Seinfeld episode when he's like on stage and they've got that like spotlight on him. And then the camera's kind of like off at like a 45 degree angle from his face. So you're not really seeing him straight on like the audience is, but you're also not standing like next to him. You're kind of just getting this like view that feels like a little more conversational Mm -hmm. and it's, it's really cool. I don't know how to probably do justice to describing that, but, and all the jokes are really funny, but it just discusses, yeah, like really the whole standup special is about this culture of people, of white people who feel the need to outwoke one another or like out um, liberal one another constantly. And it's just like so silly because when you're doing all of that, you're just trying to impress other white people around you, you know, like especially on social media and stuff. You're not actually making change in your communities by just trying to present as like the most progressive thinking person and not actually doing anything about it. And the whole thing was really funny and I just thought it was really well done.
0: That's on Netflix now.
1: That's on Netflix now. It came out on July 9th.
0: Oh wow. Okay. So it just came out a week ago. Okay. Yeah.
1: And then the other thing I wanted to talk to you about kind of like media wise, I don't have any movies otherwise that I, well, the Florida project.
0: Oh yeah. We can talk about that.
1: Have you seen that?
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I saw it. it. was uh It was in my honorable mention for my top 10 last year. I I, I just didn't really, didn't really like the, the ending. Not that we need to, I guess, give a spoiler, but it's... What? I love the filmmaking, though. I love the filmmaking. I love how they got a, basically what, a five or six-year-old to be the lead character, and it actually kind of works.
1: Did you know that they shot... Oh, it's like... I, I listened to the film spotting episode on this because I was like trying to understand why it looked so different and the whole movie. So usually even when it's like a children's movie, well, so Sean Baker, first of all, is super inspired by um, the little rascals. That's Mm. like a movie apparently that he has always just like attached himself to. And he wanted to make a movie from a child's perspective for a long time because of his desire to like do something inspired by the little rascals. But he was essentially like waiting for a story to tell that made sense because kind of like Tangerine, he wanted to use people who actually like maybe lived in those type of situations. It was really interesting because like Willem Dafoe plays the hotel manager, but then the girl that plays Mooney's mom is like not an actress. Like she's actually, no, no, no. I almost want to say that she was like from there and I mean, I guess you wouldn't call it method acting if you're like a real person like that just is like in that lifestyle. But she's
0: actually someone who basically lives in a hotel in Florida.
1: I think that or that she's just someone from Florida who was like, not,
0: at least a, a non professional actor. And they just kind of hired a real girl she
1: wasn't an actress at all. Like she went through like a two week, like accelerated acting program with a coach with Sean Baker on Sean Baker's crew. Wow. I didn't hear that. That's crazy. Yeah, and so anyway, the whole thing about the movie, though, is that everything, the cameras, from every angle, even when you're seeing a scene that only has adults, almost always it's being shot from the height of the six-year-old. Everything's happening from Mooney's perspective, and I just thought that was really cool because there is something that feels so nostalgic and so different about watching that movie, and... I think it could be as simple as that, as you just don't view anything as literally through your childhood lens as, as you do when you watch that movie.
0: And something as simple as like you said, just having the camera basically three feet off the ground instead of five feet off the ground. Makes yeah. makes a huge difference. Yeah. Yep. No, it was it was really good. Did you did you watch Tangerine too?
1: Yeah, I watched Tangerine back in 2016 or whatever when you... Oh, okay, okay. Because the thought, the idea of something being shot with just an iPhone was like really fascinating to me. But, uh, oh my God, I'm going to go kill my dog really quick. Okay, I'll wait. (laughs) Ow. (laughs) And something else that I really liked about Sean Baker's films is um, so... Tangerine was obviously shot in an iPhone and then the Florida project was shot on 35 millimeter film. Mm-hmm. So it seems like he tries to do something different and this is going to be a spoiler. So if someone's listening that if someone really has listened this long <laughs> and they okay. get shit about <laughs> uh, the project, then yeah. Um, but the last, like the ending part where all of a sudden it kind of speeds up and it feels a little bit like Tangerine when they're going into Disney world, you know, yeah. Hold- that actually was shot on an iPhone. I couldn't tell if he was trying to, like, pay homage to, like, Tangerine and just wanted to switch it up kind of so that it felt like some of those scenes when Tangerine kind of speeds up and slows down. But I didn't like that at all.
0: No, see, and I didn't either because I, I thought it was just such a huge tonal shift. Like, if they had introduced moments like that of of a fantasy sort of element from the kid's perspective in that same kind of style throughout the film and then you're going to end with the big one that's fine but basically you just completely change everything for the last 30 seconds of the movie into like mm. a fantasy I'm like what is happening this makes no sense like I just, I didn't yeah. I didn't buy it at that point in the film and no. even though I loved it up to that point
1: I just felt like it was really off putting because everything else about the film had felt so gentle. And coming right out of like the most devastating, beautiful scene I've maybe ever seen in a movie the scene where Mooney runs to her friend's apartment and knocks on the door and she says, I can't say it. I can't say it. It's so bad. I can't even say it. And she's like crying so hard. I'm like crying right now, just like. Thinking about that scene. And then to go from something that I think is just probably one of the most heartfelt moments of the entire film, because you just see this child and you suddenly realize that in her eyes, like this fucked up life that we've seen for the last hour and a half, to her, like she doesn't know anything better. So the idea of leaving that is devastating, you know? And so to go right from that into this like really jarring, like cinematic shift, like from film to iPhone, I just thought it was honestly awful but that being said like the really awesome like the core of what makes the movie so good is like the disney world element i don't know if you made that connection but like the fact that they're like just outside of it and then kind of there are so many things kind of throughout the movie that align with disney world i actually took notes on this Well oh,
0: that's true because you got like the the mom steals like the passes from the guy that paid to sleep with her or whatever and...
1: and then sells them
0: right and they're like so they're always right so close but they could never go
1: so like the idea is that like they're like you see like mooney and, and her mom like they are never going to be able to live like these tourists are living and so to them it's like there's this really stark contrast between like the resort town and then where they are in these budget motels and um so actually I did take notes on this and I'd like to look them up really quick because there are a lot of themes like that kind of I I think that Sean Baker actually did try to kind of like it's like the kids are making their own Disney World a little bit. Um, and there are a bunch of scenes that kind of line up as if they were things that you would do at Disney World. Okay, here we go. Like the field with cows, when Mooney and her friend go out and they're in that big pasture with all the cows, you know. And Mooney says something like, a real life safari. I kind of wrote down that that seemed like maybe a version of like Disney's Animal Kingdom. Right. Um, Like the big zoo. And then another scene that felt similar was, like, the abandoned house that they end up burning down. That was kind of, like, the poor kid's version of the Disney's Haunted Mansion. Huh. And then another one that I wrote down was the scene when she's running through the rain with her mom, which I think is another one of the scenes in the movie that's just, like, really beautiful and just feels really, like, honest. And I wrote down that that seemed like it could be something like the water park it. At Disney World, um, just kind of like the classic things that we all think of because we've gone there or whatever. But then, when you're a kid, you have to like kind of create your own adventure, you know. I thought it was such a good movie.
0: Oh, and I love that theory—the idea that yeah, almost like a like a real gritty version of all these fun things that she can never get.
1: So, do you remember the scene? When there are two scenes that I want to talk about, so the scene when the pedophile is coming, the truck driver, and he says he's just trying to get a soda, and Willem Dafoe like beats the shit out of him.
0: Yes, yeah. Or basically, he's like struggling, or he's he's like he says he wants a soda, but he's nowhere near the soda machine, right? So he's basically,
1: just people, kids, and he's a truck driver or something like that,
0: right? And Willem Dafoe basically like walks over, gets him a coke, yeah. and says, "I never want to see you again, or I'm calling the cops."
1: Yeah, I think. Willem Dafoe's character in that movie was so awesome because you see him as this just like sweet grandpa good guy and you have this idea of him and then that scene with what you realize is his son oh right that it's almost like he's like paying penance for his um shittiness as a dad by like taking care of these kids at the motel
0: yeah and
1: then the last scene that that I really think was really awesome because the thing is that Mooney is literally six years old when they're, or Brooklyn, whatever. Right, her the name.
0: actress is six, yeah.
1: Six. And um, so most of this movie with the kids is like mumblecore. Like they're not actually scripted scenes. Yeah, a I lot think of, he just
0: films a ton and then you edit it down, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. And so I don't know if you still call it mumblecore when you're working with children because it's not really improv. It's like they're actually just playing but there's a scene at the hotel when her mom like sneaks her in for the continental breakfast for the free breakfast at like the resort and the whole scene is shot like camera directly across from Mooney as she's just like eating and she's like describing all these things that she's eating and they're like quick cuts and she's making all these like hilarious comments about the food and so the camera is from the mom's perspective but When I listened to the interview with Sean Baker, he talks about how they actually filmed that, which is that he literally sat in a restaurant booth across from this six-year-old actress and had a camera rolling directly across from her and basically told her like not to worry about the camera and just eat her breakfast. And then he would ask her like, to do like weird stuff he'd be like eat one of those blueberries with one of those raspberries and like tell me what it tastes like and then she was just making all this like hilarious commentary and they filmed it for like 20 minutes and then obviously edited it down to like a minute and a half scene but it was just so awesome and,
0: p- and pure right it's like kind of that yeah. purity yeah
1: because it, you know it's just a kid like straight like eating waffles you know ow <laughs>
0: Well, we're, ne- we're nearing two hours here. We should probably yeah. just go ahead and uh, both get to work, I guess. But, oh, thank you. This was, uh,
1: <laughs>
0: this was a lot of fun.
1: There's going to be a lot of editing that you're going to have to do. Before.
0: Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll make it work. I'll make it work. But, oh, thank you. It has, been, it has been a blast. We'll have to do it yet again here. Try have time to recover. <laughs> Definitely. Okay. Yeah. All right. See you later, everybody. See you, Hallie.
1: We need to have, like, a like goodbye. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Yeah, you know, we can, however you want to make that happen.
1: Okay, Um, wherever you go, there you are. Bye. Very
0: nice. <laughs> Bye, everybody. <laughs>